Hey guys, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by Pyro Putty. This is a product that uh, I'm very excited about as far as reinventing the wheel when it comes to fire starting technology. You can get Pyro Putty wet, it's still going to light. You can attach it to a wet log, it's going to burn long enough to start a fire on that wet wood. So when it comes to boosting morale in the backcountry, what, what is better than a a warm fire, right? There's nothing. You get home from a long day, back to camp. You've been chasing elk through the mountains or mule deer or whatever for you know, from sun up to sundown. You're cold and you're wet, and you can't get a fire started. Not because you don't have a fire starter, but because that fire starter doesn't do the job. Well, Pyro Putty does, and you can find it at pyroputty.com. It's a size of about a can of dip. That's all it is. And inside that can of dip, you got a seven hour burn time. You put a, a piece the size of a nickel on a stick, and it's going to burn for 8 to 10 minutes. It's Pyro Putty. You need it in your backcountry kit. It's going to boost morale. Could save your life. You never know. Uh, but you can find it at pyroputty.com. Cable Smith, welcome in everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Social Distortions Rift, the Johnny Cash Classic, Ring of Fire. Getting things going for us today. Thank you so much for dropping by. I do appreciate each and every one of you. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. A long time presenting sponsors. Man, it is great to be here. Talking hunting and the great outdoors and all that implies and we got a great show lined up for you today so you know what to do by now pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire and pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat up old thermos because we are ready to rock and roll and today's episode is titled tales from the dark continent and while you know you can't have those experiences in unexplored africa like capstick or ruark or even roosevelt you can still go there and experience something that is otherworldly, something that you, quite frankly, just can't experience anywhere else as an outdoorsman. From the dozens and dozens of different types of species one can hunt, to the wide array of terrains and climates you can experience just right there on South Africa's Eastern Cape is absolutely mind-blowing. And so today we'll recap the Lone Star Outdoor Show trip with John X Safaris as my good friend and PH Carl Van Seel of John X will be here for the duration. We've got some very well diverse hunts from the tiniest clip springer to putting my hands on a white rhino. Uh, yeah, it was uh, surreal to say the least and uh, we're going to dive into all of that, plus one specific spiral-horned antelope uh, that has eluded me on my previous safari expedition. So uh, it's going to be all about Africa on South Africa's Eastern Cape here today. Certainly looking forward to sharing that experience with you guys. And also, it was interesting to come home and my kiddos, knowing that I didn't actually kill the rhino, well, they had a lot of questions, and so that was a, a great opportunity for me to educate them on the difference between poaching and hunting. And so uh, I actually just stuck the microphone in Henry's face 
to get a six-year-old future hunter's opinion on what's going on with the rhino. So, Henry, what did you think about your dad darting the rhino? Uh, it was cool. Does it make you sad that people shoot a rhino to cut its horns off? Yes. Because really, really, that's just a fingernail that they're cutting off. And so it doesn't really have any healing power, does it? Uh-uh. And what's the saddest part? Uh, they just leave it there. Henry, when we go hunting, what would you say is the most important aspect of taking an animal's life? The meat. So if the meat is the most important part, it doesn't make any sense why someone would kill an animal and just leave it there, does it? Uh-uh. Would you ever do that? No. Well, what about when we shot a coyote? Why did we do that? Because it would have eat, eaten the deer. That's right, buddy. And that's called conservation through predator management. Uh-huh. Henry, do you know what we call someone who just shoots an animal, cuts its head off, or its horn, or whatever, and just leaves it there to die and doesn't take the meat? A poacher. That's right, son. And they belong in where? Jail. Those jerks belong in jail. So easy a six-year-old has it figured out, right? Hey, perception is reality, my friends. Raise those kids right because they are the future. Uh, let's do this. Let's do let's do a quick giveaway before we get into the meat of today's conversation. Uh, I've got a John X Safaris cap uh, that I brought back from South Africa, as well as a First Light sticker. So if you want to throw your hat in the ring for a chance to win the John X Safaris hat and First Light sticker, just email the word safari, that's safari, to lonestaroutdoorshow at gmail.com. Let's take a break. Up next, we will complete the Spiral Horn Slam with my friend Carl Van Ziel. He joins us to talk about our Cape Bushbuck hunt. And I actually didn't even know what a spiral horn slam was until I got it. <laughs> so it's all things Cape Bushbuck right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Eager to try my hand at proving that I was a man Not an ounce of fear in anything I do Yeah, I thought I knew it all Turns out I didn't have a clue. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Curl does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Pike County, Illinois, and the surrounding area is hallowed ground for whitetail hunters. And with 21 years experience, Golden Triangle Whitetails is the oldest outfitter in the state. Spread out over 14,000 acres, they have 350 acres of food plots, 500 tree stands, and over 80 box blinds. The guides take pride in having hunters harvest giant Midwest bucks. Golden Triangle Whitetail hunts the Illinois archery, shotgun, and muzzleloader season. They have a full-time chef and excellent lodging. Book your whitetail hunt of a lifetime by going to www.goldentrianglewhitetail.com today. 
Josh Abbott Band bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here. And this is the 2019 Dark Continent episode. Uh, Every year when I come back from South Africa, uh, we do a recap of that experience because each one is completely unique, just as every hunt is unique unto itself Uh, but in just a mere eight days time so many things happen on safari because you're able to pursue so many different species and the eastern cape is such a unique place because you can hunt forests you can hunt mountains you can hunt sand dunes by the ocean um, and you can hunt scrub country like south texas and you can do that all within a two-hour drive of each other. I mean, it's all right there. It's incredible. It's like no place I've ever been. And uh, and we're going to get into a spiral horn species that has given me hell over the last two trips. Uh, but we found success on this safari. And Kate Bushbuck is coming at you here momentarily. But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by First Light's Sawbuck Pant. This thing is awesome. Let me tell you, I've had the opportunity to test it out deep in the South Texas brush country as well as on South Africa's Eastern Cape. You know what's a common denominator? Everything there can cut you, scratch you, or snag you. And the sawbuck was created with those type of environments in mind. The best part, it's not hot. It's not like you're putting on a pair of you know work pants to keep all that stuff from uh, getting through into your skin. It's breathable. And yet, tough as nails, check it out. It's the Sawbuck, and you can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further, stay longer. All right, with that being said, let's get into today's conversation. And we taped these discussions right there at John X Safari's headquarters. So here we go, my discussion with John X Safari's second-generation owner, my good friend and PH, Carl Van Seal. Well, Carl, it's great to be here back at John X Safari's Woodlands Camp on South Africa's Eastern Cape for our third safari. Uh, we've, hunted, we've hunted hard. We've had a lot of success on this trip. And um, man, some truly incredible species from one of the tiny 10 to <laughs> something that the biggest animal that I've ever put my hands on. Uh, but we're going to talk about all that stuff. But one species that has really given us fits over these three trips has been the Cape Bushbuck, one of the... Uh, spiral horns and man what a beautiful animal Uh, we hunted hard for him again and finally uh the tide turned in our favor yeah absolutely cable i think third time the charm yeah you know previously we'd hunted and uh, i don't think we'd always prioritized it but this Mm -hmm. time around i said to you when i saw you at dsc in january i said to you cable we are going to hunt Cape Bushbuck, and that's exactly what we did. First day we went out, we tried really hard for Cape Bushbuck. We saw a lot of Bushbuck that first day. I think uh-huh. we saw 16 Bushbuck in total, which is a hell of a good day on Bushbuck. Yeah. You know, they sneaky forest dwellers. You sit up high, you glass, 
you spend lots of time on the on, on, on the binoculars, on the spotting scope, and once you spot a good old ram, it's then to try and get in position and make a shot across a canyon, maybe down a gorge, or as they feed out on the edges of the forest. It's really neat hunting them, and you and I obviously set out that first day hoping we can find what we're after, not coming away with anything, being very frustrated. Right. And and what did you say to me that night going back to camp? You said to me, man, here we go again. <laughs> and you know why... Um, you said we haven't like we haven't put all our effort into bushbuck. I agree, yeah. but it's like we spend a day or two here, and Correct. then there's so many other things to do and see other species we could be hunting. And I just said, nope, Carl, that's that's enough. They, they kicked our tail again. Let's do something else. Precisely, precisely. <laughs> Whereas our friend Glenn, they just jump in front of his bullets. Well, you know, we fondly call him <laughs> Super Hunter for a reason, and part of that arrived and mm-hmm. occurred when he couldn't stop hunting great bushbuck i mean I, I think the man's got five spectacular bushbuck it's incredible yeah yeah incredible yeah so a little bit about this hunt like you said first day uh, a lot of time on the glass and uh you were upset that you saw three what you thought were mature shooter rams through your binos but then you always want to reevaluate with your spotting scope and by the time you got it on them they were gone yeah what i spotted during the course of the day with three rams with what i when i see something at five six hundred yards I want to get on the spotting scope, but my initial reaction is if he's got a good thick neck, he's got that nice jet black color, even to a silvery uh, uh, kind of complexion in the distance. That's what you want, that gray black color. And uh, I'd seen three rams with the kind of bodies we're looking for, right color. All I had to do was evaluate the horn, you know, in the spotting scope. And then from there, we could make a move. But by the end of that first day, I was pulling my hair out. Not, you know, not in a long time. And I spotted enough bushbuck, done enough to have found you something. I felt more like I was letting you down. Here we were on safari number three, and here we go again. So it was rewarding waking up that next morning very early, getting up high on day two, and we went to the mountains. Well, one of us missed wake-up call. One of us had a little too much fun at the pub the night before. I can tell you it wasn't me, listeners. It wasn't me. Not feeling his best that day, so... I think I might have taken a nap actually while you guys were glassing at one point. So, uh, but y'all, y'all kept after it. Yeah, you know, the, the wind was up. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really a pumping day. It wasn't the kind of weather I was hoping for. New property that I'd never been to. Precisely. It's yeah. up in the high country. But what, what one does get and what, what opportunity arises with every situation, and as bad as the wind may have been, well, it also forced the bush back into pocket. So I'm that guy who heads out in the morning and what's in front of me, i got to hunt. But I can make a plan and I can work at the angle and I can say to myself, there are 50, 60% of the spots that won't work, but there's 30% that are going to be hot. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. We went and gone straight in a spot that was a little bit out of the wind on a nice nose and man, within... 20, 30 minutes, we had spotted seven or eight bushbuck males, which is unheard of cable. I mean, I oh, was especially for our luck. For us, yeah, precisely. <laughs> but you said for it, for any day. For I mean, that's any like, day, my man. It, yeah. it was unbelievable. And, and what was strange, we never saw one female in that mm-hmm. whole that whole session. Yeah. Yet I've been there before and seen five, six females on that, that exact that, uh, face and maybe one or two males. Huh. So that was quite a strange reverse of what, what re- regularly occurs yeah. in that scenario. And it's just so our listeners know, these are not like a herd animal. No, they no, are they singles. Very seclusive. Yes, reclusive, uh, and just keep to themselves. Precisely. precisely. In the dark, dense stuff. Yeah, precisely. Uh, and they, they come don't like out to get out of that heavy light, cover. Last light. Yeah. You know, and they like to be not far from cover. And if they can feed somewhere where they feel there's enough cover around them, they more relaxed. Yeah. And that's what we found. They were in some semi wooded brush where you and I could make a move on the bushbuck. 
But well, it was thick enough because our first stalk around 10 o'clock that morning yeah. ended in just frustration. Yeah. We got up high and even had the tracker down low in the spotting scope trying to relay to us, you know, where he'd last seen him. And, and we start going down towards him, but the brush is so thick that we just, you know, yeah, pulling just, our hair out trying to see him. The, from the bottom, it obviously looked a lot easier. Yeah. But when, when we got up high, like you said, it was just too thick. Yeah. But what was one of the most unique and um, nicest things of that morning and that day for me, Cabo, was... I was at one stage so excited looking at different rams that I had to remind myself, like, let's just settle down here and make a call <laughs> on a ram. And I was being a hog. I'd, be, I'd look at one. Okay, he's great. And then you'd find one. I'd look at him. Okay, he's even better. Then I'd find another one. Well, he's really old. I like that shape. And then I'd find one. Oh, that one's got good length. It was like I was jumping around. I'd tell myself, okay, whoa, damn out. Let's focus now on one ram. And that's what we did. Then finally on the second round, we did. And, and we went up. And we got up high again, but this time we worked the wind a bit better in our favor. And for once, we did the complete opposite. We took a chance on some mountain reedbuck that were lower down on the same ridge. We worked around the We bottom. basically pushed the mountain and said, we're going to be here now. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and as, move on out. as luck would have it, mm -hmm. we, we had worked down about 200 yards. And when we could get a bit of vantage looking up the valley, actually, it's the brush kind of opened up on us. And suddenly, we had a bit of visual. And there he was. And I put you, I immediately got you in position. The sun wasn't great, but I got you in some shadow of the tree. And then I wasn't sure until you said to me, man, I can see him. And, and then I was really happy. And, 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 and from there, you know, what I really liked in that scenario with you, Cable, was you made the call. It wasn't for me. It was, I couldn't see in the scope. I could tell you it was a great ram. I could tell you we need to take him. But you, you took the lead role there, and that was fantastic. And yeah, he, good, good shooting, by the way. Yeah, dropped him, dropped. Right. He, he tumbled uh, down the down the hill a little bit. Ozzy yeah. got it all on, on the uh, video, which make for a great show when we put it out on on YouTube. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, man, walking up on that thing after chasing him for so long, uh, there was a bunch of unique features that that proved just his age, um, secondary growth on his horns. on his horns, yeah. and then also. Kate Bushbuck around the band, the, the, the base of the neck, band yeah, the base no the hair, neck. which means it's a sign of maturity. So how he, he rubs when he walks through the forest, mm -hmm. he rubs and marks his territory. So, um, listeners out there, if you've been to Africa and you've received a Kate Bushbuck back from your taxidermist and you think there was hair slip, you did good. You got a nice <laughs> old one. You can right, relax. Right. Yeah. And one other thing that was totally unique to this property that I hadn't seen and that we've we've talked about before how diverse the uh you know different regions different climates different um vegetation you have across yeah. the eastern cape uh there's pine trees here it yeah, was like were. east texas yeah, you know you're right you're right and on the mountains it was they were they were actually planted in the 70s huh. um there was a bit of a drive from our government to kind of incentivize our farmers to do a bit of plantation stuff and obviously where did we learn it from from you guys back huh. in the states and so what did we do we imported what you guys <laughs> did yeah unfortunately it didn't quite come off as good as your term ministry so you see a lot of it kind of gone to waste it's real uh, spotty yeah it's real spotty it's, it's not very well organized like your guys but it actually provides a bit of habitat so it's, yeah. not, it's not bad it's, after all yeah well man that was uh that was an epic day and uh, and i do want to say it's about the pub yeah i think maybe people don't understand we didn't like go out in town and like go to a bar like no no john x has a pub here at the woodlands it's where everyone it's it's really the coolest thing after the day's hunt everyone all the hunters and their phs congregate there yeah. have a few beers maybe one too many that night uh and and that's where we tell the stories of the day and that's uh yeah, I think it's that's always the a camaraderie yeah you know, i think that oh, yeah. was 
I think when 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 we put this lodge together, obviously after thirty years of building lodges, seeing what works, seeing what doesn't work. When we put that pub together, I think that feature right there was probably one of the highlights for us because since the day we went in there the first time to today and many years to come, I think everybody comes, everybody who's been there will agree that the stories, the memories and the laughter in that pub is so infectious and it's such so much fun. <laughs> everybody getting back, you know, and sharing. You can uh-huh. share with your buddies. And what makes us a lot different to a lot of, and, and this is what I hear, a lot of hunters come out here and they go, it's really neat that my fresh land and my guide stays with us in the evening and visits with us and socializes with us. Um, you know, your PH doesn't just drop you off. Yeah. He's here to spend the entire story with you. He's sharing your experience as much as you are experiencing it. And I think that's a unique side of things where you build up a friendship. That is uh, something that now, three years down the line, um, for me personally with Cable, we have so much fun. I don't, when he arrives, it's not like I'm on a job. I'm I'm going on on a seven day hunt with my buddy, and that's what's neat. And I think everybody who comes here experiences that ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a uh, certainly a lot of fun, and uh, and and one thing about that, both the pub and the dining area, it yeah. intentionally no Wi-Fi. Yeah. So get off your damn phones. Yeah. It encourages everyone, and it's sad that that's the, the the day and age we live in. But from running a business to, I mean, we're running all over the Eastern Cape, and you're on your phone just taking care of you know you're yeah. running a huge company yeah yeah and uh and and but there it's bonding camaraderie only there and what we we, what we call our bush tv the fire pit from that point fire pit the pub and the dining room and the trophy room all we want to do is have human interaction we want to actually get back to our roots Mm -hmm. have fun laugh learn communicate chat and visit yeah and i think that's a really neat part and people have complimented us and thanked us afterwards i think the first two nights they thought "Ah, it's a bit painful you know but you'd be surprised how many of them come down, you know, three, four, five days on the line. They come to me and say, this is fantastic. I love this. Nobody's bugging me. Yeah. I enjoyed socializing. And that's nice. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as we wrap up our Cape Bushbuck discussion, uh, let's, a little like physical characteristics about this animal. How, how big are they? You're, okay, Cape Bushbuck, you're looking at um, kilograms and I'll convert to pounds. A, a big ram will be around about 60 to 70 kilograms on the hoof. Mm-hmm. So that's about a just shy of 150 pounds mm-hmm. i would say about 130 140 pounds um the, on d- in different regions they may be a bit lighter as well in that closer to 100 110 pounds um a good male is anything from 13 inches i think our male was around about 14 inches uh we look for that traditional uh shape either the nice bell straight up like yours or the bell with a flare the tips tip out um and what is really neat the females are completely red in color tan red color in the forest and you'll see on the video we we, we got some great uh, footage of some females and then obviously the males are that jet black color we like so much with the white spots mm-hmm. the white mitten socks and then obviously the chest has got two white marks as well yeah. and from time to time on the rear occasion you may get them where they have some spots on the backside, on the rear rump as well as a few straps on the side like the kulu Huh. Very, very seldom, but you do get it from time to time, and those are the those specific ones where we tell the guys you got a life size. Yeah, they just make them. <laughs> yeah, Glenn's got a pretty one in his uh, trophy room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but Linovich, you know, old super anti, he's made such a pig of himself with his bushbuck. <laughs> I think he's about banned from bushbuck, but he keeps telling me he's, he won't listen to me. Yeah, he's gonna yeah. ask forgiveness, <laughs> not permission. Well, Carl, uh, we finally got it done. We got the uh, the Kate bushbuck, and the cool thing was is. 
that completed our spiral horn slam. Yeah. I didn't even think about it. Yeah. Yeah. So we got the Eland, yeah. the Kudu yeah. uh, on our first safari. Yeah. We got the Inyala last year. Last year. And then we wrapped it up uh, with the uh, Cape Bush book this time. And yeah, okay, well, all of those, very proud of them. Um, none of those we ever have to do over. They were good fun hunting. Well, no, we're going to do kudu over every year. <laughs> well, you're right. And you know, I'm, I'm an Eland dog, so I might have to take you Eland hunting again. <laughs> Sounds good. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll head into the mountains for the tiny Clipspringer, one of Africa's tiny tin antelope and a species unique unto itself. There is nothing like it on the face of God's green earth. Uh, we'll discuss that next. By the way, that segment proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know, land its the one thing they're not making any more of, not in Texas, not in Africa, not anywhere, but we all want it. So if you're ready to take that plunge, make that step and make your dream a reality, or whether you want it for recreating, hunting, uh, fishing, running cattle, or you just want to get the hell out of the big city, Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. And they'll do the same for you. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from South Africa and my good friend P.H. Carl Van Seal on the One Star Outdoor Show. No bushman can survive on city lights. Hopper, rock and roll and hide of heights. His moon shines on the silver rigolo. Shimmers down the inland river flow Out there with the yellow belly bite In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person. At Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Hey, this is Cody Jinks, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Here's to you and I at the end of the day. Smith, welcome everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club, with Cody Jinks, Perry House Redemption, bringing us back here. Uh, thank you so much for dropping by today. It is a pleasure to be talking all things outdoors with you. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Players as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. This is the 2019 Dark Continent episode. As we recap our recent safari with John X Safaris and my good friend, and PH Carl Van Seal. And we're about to head into the mountains of the Great Karoo to chase the tiny Clipspringer antelope. But before we do that, this segment is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. They continue to put their money where their mouth is through their tireless efforts on conservation, education, and protecting hunters' rights. Check us out at biggame.org. 
Okay, uh, well, let's go ahead and pick it back up with our good friend Carl Van Seal. My PH for three safaris now to South Africa's Eastern Cape. And we're going to head into the mountains of the Great Karoo as we recap our quest to take one of South Africa's tiny tin antelope, the little rock dweller known as the Clipspringer. Well, Carl, we're here at the Woodlands on site recording, um, talking about some of these animals that probably a lot of our listeners don't even know what yeah. they are. And to be honest with you, uh, until I came on my first safari, yeah. I didn't know what a clip springer was. Yeah. I had no idea. You know, I'd seen other members of the tiny tin and pictures and, and, uh, I think I, you know, I knew what a, a blue diker was, but I really had no, uh, concept of all of these other small antelope that you guys have here. Uh, and this one is so unique that, and it lives in such a rugged terrain that we had planned a couple days pursuing this guy. Yeah, yeah. You know, Gable, having hunted that var rebuck with you last year and my passion for the mountains and mountain hunting and and putting African mountain hunting on the map, uh, it's such a, a unknown to people. I mm-hmm. find it, uh, people look at me in this foreign look when I say to them, come and hunt the mountains in Africa and they, they expect the Disneyland, Savannah, Plains and and herds of wildebeest and it's 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 that and so much more like you've experienced gable but here in the east cape we have those plains but we also have unbelievable mountain ranges and on these mountain ranges ranges live unique species and one of them is the varri buck we last year but one of the other ones which often is not spoken about uh, is the clip springer yeah. it is a beautiful species it forms part of the tiny ten like you mentioned but it's uh Clipspringer actually means my, my my forefathers, the Dutch folk who came here first. Clip is a rock, and spring is jump. So it was a rock jumper. It was uh. just translated to Clipspringer, and that is basically where the name came from. But they live in pairs, uh, up up in the rocky outcrops. And the hardest thing about them is spotting them. And right. <laughs> yeah, it really is hard work spotting them. And once you spotted them, they're really alert because they live up in the high country and because they're so small. They really have a hard time with the predators. So one of the biggest predators people don't realize uh, what, what they face is actually our black eagles and our martial eagles. Uh. The eagles go after them. So the poor clip springer, they're not only looking in the sky all day long, <laughs> they're looking around them for the lynx, the caracal, which you also like to hunt, uh-huh. and then the jackal, obviously, which is like your coyotes. Uh, so they've, they've got three main predators that, that really go after them. So they're super alert. And when you hunt them, you're always dealing with wind swirls and stuff like that in the mountains. And obviously, they've got incredible eyesight, which they've adapted. And so once you've spotted them, that's only probably 50% of the battle one. Then you've got to get around. And my theory and my motto on clip springer hunting is, and I always tell guys, is there are two ways we can do this. Are we going to spot them or good and well? But we must decide. Are we going the long way around and getting it done? Or are we going to take a 50-50 on the short way around and hope to get it done? Mm. And I'm that guy who believes... If we put in the hard miles, we'll earn the, the right to this. But, Cable, I think I put in all the hard miles before you arrive because <laughs> you're the luckiest clip spring hunter I know. Yeah, well, backing up, though, we did before uh, before we got on the clip springer. Earlier in the day, we hunted uh, black spring buck. Yeah. And this is a uh, like a melanistic or recessive trait of yeah. your national animal, which is the spring buck. Yeah. Uh, there was a couple of uh, opportunities. We tried them at uh, between 900 and 1,000 a couple times and just couldn't get the right uh, distance. Yeah, the range is just really hard out in those plains. And 
this particular ram that i wanted you to try was such an unbelievable spring buck and um my, my rifle was behaving well and and, and you were shooting good and mm -hmm. i felt man I, and i'd seen what you'd done the day before i felt really con uh, confident but when we missed that range i knew it wasn't the day to do that so we we backed it up and Finally, oh no! Then he ran right at us. Yeah, then he came at us at three twenty. Yeah. I was I was on the sticks. I don't know how I screwed that up. You kind of looked at me like, "Are you serious, dude? <laughs> <laughs> Came all the way to Africa and you just missed a chip shot." And then I think uh, I was swearing at myself uh, for a good. Well, it took five hours lo longer. Yeah, I mean, we started educating him, and he yeah. proved that he was an old ram because he ran circles around us. When I say circles, I mean like a square mile. He's just yeah, and it's back on the glass trying to find him. And then can we get close enough? And then here's another busted stalk. And, you know, it was just turned into a real headache, yeah. uh, which could have been, it could have been over immediately, but we finally got him on the ground at four o'clock, which ended up, Carl, being, it, it ended up, I think the Clippy gods shined on our big time. Sorry, behinds after big that. Because time. Big time. It all worked out. And, and, you know, um, Cable, what really makes this Clippy unique is, um, I actually spotted and saw this clippy and tried to hunt him five, six years ago with a, my dear friend, Steve Travis, who mm -hmm. introduced me to you. Yeah. And how small a world and how smaller opportunities, if you think it is. And I basically, since Steve and I hunted that ram, I've been back five, six times. I've done legwork like you cannot believe on this ram. He's a really good old ram. And I've tried so often without any luck. And I've only seen him two maybe two, three times after that. And I've probably spent a good two weeks on him, hunting him. And when we drove up... Uh, people that, have shot at him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we've had guys fling lead at him and it hasn't quite worked out. <laughs> and when we headed up onto that mountain at, I think it was just before five o'clock, we, yeah. we were heading up and you basically looked at me and I could see, you're not believing this. <laughs> I, I did not have believers with me. Ozzy, our cameraman... I know what he was doing. He was taking some scenic shots. As he thought this is a good old waste of time. Carl's gone crazy. Gable was tired of the black springbuck hunt and me giving him a hard time about missing a chip shot. And uh, my tracker, for sure, Sunday day looked at me and said, come on, boss, this, you must be kidding me. But anyway, I, I luckily had my two Jack Russells on the back and they were his believers and they looked at me like, come on, dad, let's do this. And uh, we got up onto the ridge and we started walking and I said to you, Gable, just watch yourself now move passively i prepped you previously you know as the days led up to i said okay well this can have to be the one that you get on the quickest steady yourself and make your shot count one cable. shot that's all you're going to get yeah. you're going to get one opportunity at this cable and man you took it to heart we were walking along sun was setting and i personally think for once um or not for once but this time the hunting guys really smiled on us because the way this clippy where he was laying in a little as kind of a little cave uh, in in a, in a rocky ledge, we were kind of meandering around, and you'll see, you'll see in the video once it's loaded. Um, we had the sun at our backs, and I think the clippy was looking up at us, and I think he'd seen movement, but I, th I think he thought we were maybe baboons. Mm -hmm. You know, in that part of the that part of the world, Clipspring, I live with baboons up there. They used to seeing the, them up on the skyline, and I think the fact that we were moving, bent over in a passive manner, the way we were, I think it kind of really helped us. So. I spotted this clippy, and at first I wasn't sure if it was a ram. Yeah. And I actually said to you, okay, well, it's a female. Yeah. But get get on her, find her, and get yourself steady. The ram will be somewhere. So just get ready. I'm going to find him. And uh, you lay there for a while. You got really steady. And 
Then I looked over at my cameraman, Ozzy, and I said, Ozzy, try and find the, the ram. Where's the ram? And Ozzy looked at me and he said to me, that is the ram. <laughs> well, I never got a whipping from Ozzy like that. And I looked close and Ozzy, and Ozzy was right because he'd been looking at his viewfinder and the camera and I'm looking around trying to find the, the other one. Mm-hmm. And, well, true as not, there he was, Cable, and you, you got on him. Yeah. Well, and, and how could Carl mistake this one, you know, a female other than, you know, rather than a ram? Well, when you talk about their horns being three, three and a half inches, three, three inches. to three and a half inches, four inches is a huge one uh, at three, four hundred yards. And what really makes it tough guiding is the inside of the clippy's ears. If you look at them, they're actually black. Mm-hmm. So if you look from a distance, unless you can get a side profile to actually see a shadow being cast, to actually see the horn, you cannot see. If it looks at you straight on, the ears actually look like, the inside of the ears look like horns. So you can never take that for granted. You can't just go, that's a male. You really got to get on the spotting scope and look hard. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and the cool thing was is that you, like you said, had hunted this specific yeah. animal for five, six years. Yeah. Uh, and by the time we finally killed him, he was old. Like his really he, old. his horns had started to go down from yeah. just Big age time. and rubbing and... Uh, his I teeth would, were all worn down. I would say from the first time that Steve had a shot at him to now, I would say he's lost probably three quarters of an inch mm. in, in five years. And in clippy language, that's massive. You know, when you're right. only dealing with four inches, three quarters of an inch is a lot, yeah. So um, what was really awesome was when you had that one shot cable, you really made it count. And I, and, and I tell you, 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 came, you, you pulled us through there. You know, when you get opportunities like that on safari like this, there's so much to do, so much to see, so many opportunities to enjoy and experience that you need a bit of a role. And that day was a tough day. And at four o'clock, we had a black spring. Like, that's all we had. And a good old sunburn and a windburn. <laughs> and we were looking sorry and I, sad. I think, Carl, I was doubting you that we were going to find a clippy, you know, with 30 minutes of daylight left. And you're probably doubting me, like, after my performance on the Absolutely, spring. Absolutely, like, I was. He's going to blow this shot. We've 100%. done all this work. <laughs> Yeah, but it it uh, it was one that uh, I I will not soon forget. And yeah. and when we got to the to the little ram there, yeah, um, to get your hands on him and then to feel his his hair, yeah, you know, the hollow hair. Yeah, it's, it's like quills. It's like our deer back yeah, home. It's like a quill. Yeah, yeah, which is so different from all the other soft uh, fur that you know all, most of these other antelope species have here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and. And, and cable for us, they 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 one of our biggest problems is the hair slip we get from them. And often a, a when we do when, when you do take that shot and you hit the bone, the opposite side blows out terribly. And I don't know if you, know if you remember us walking down there. And there was all that fur there. And you said, "Man, what what what's this?" And I said, oh. "Cable, that's that's a blowout from your clippy. That's actually fur." And why that happens is cable. If they up in the mountains and maybe an eagle or a lynx tries to catch them, they actually. The, 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 the predator actually slips off them. Hmm. They basically, they grab them, try and hold on, and the hair is released. So it's very similar to like a porcupine. Huh. It actually releases, and the the animal, the predator is stuck with a bunch of fur in its mouth and in its, in, in its talons or, you know, in its claws. Basically, that and, and that's their defense mechanism. Thick, thick. Thick, thick, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it also obviously gets cold up there. Yeah. We, we do get snow up there. Yeah. Well, and I mean, the temperatures, um, I think this at the end of our safari is going to be as cold as it's ever been when I've been yeah, here. Yeah, absolutely. It's going yeah. to be, it's going to be in our language, minus one. So it's going to be below freezing. Uh-huh. Um, 
So it, it'll be as cold as you're going to get. We'll yeah. have proper frost out. Well, oh, I'm glad we're not in the mountains anymore. You're right about that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that was uh, that was certainly one to remember. I, I am the luckiest clip springer hunter out there. It was a 30-minute sure. hunt for an animal that we literally mapped out two days, Absolutely. possibly two and a half or three yeah. if Absolutely. we needed to. Uh, it was going to be hard hunting in the mountains, and and <laughs> it was... Uh, it was one that we will smile on finally forever. Absolutely, Cable. And for me, driving back that evening and just the, I think the team coming together in the truck, you know, as this, it was dark already. We came off that mountain. And I tell you, if, if everybody could experience the atmosphere of a content cameraman who pulled it off, a super content hunter who made the shot count, a tracker who was as as happy as Larry because he could go back to the salt shed and, and <laughs> give everybody a hard time that he got the tough one in half an hour. And a pH with more relief than anybody will ever know. <laughs> Under my breath, I was thinking, "Whoa, that was lucky." <laughs> so I think that that there is 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 one of the most unique and special things on safaris. As a team, you come together, you're driving back to camp, you're gonna go and enjoy a nice cold beer, and you're gonna you're gonna go and sit around the campfire and share share that success with your friends in camp. But you know, you pulled it off mm -hmm. when the, when the chips were down. You know, we all pulled each other through, and that was so much. That was so unique. It was surreal driving back to camp that evening. Let me ask you this: As far as ranking the the tiny ten antelope, yeah, where does the clippy stand as far as difficulty, generally speaking? So we got Gabriel, lucky. I had said to you, uh, I, I said to you, it will be one of your most difficult, and yes, it is. But different regions and different areas in Africa, people experience the same species hunted in a different manner. So if I asked you in um, maybe if you were north, if you were in the north of our country. Uh, or maybe in Zimbabwe, or even in Zambia, uh, you would not consider the clippy one of the hardest. They they occur on, sort of in, on rocky outcrops and the savanna. The the climbing, the physical requirement is not as great. Mm -hmm. So s somebody up there would not think that it is as tough as what we experience here. Our clippies here don't live on the, on small little rocky outcrops that come, you know, scatter the plains. Our clippies live in the top of the mountains. So we got to be up five, 6,000 feet to get them. So physically, it's a lot more demanding. It's hard to spot. And our terrain is more open. So the clip springer sees you from a greater distance away. So I would say the clip springer and the vol buck for us out here is really tough. And for me personally, guiding the clip springer is harder than the vol buck, only because it's really hard for me to judge. The trophy mm -hmm. quality is really tough for me. Spotting them is harder than the vol buck, And I believe the shot is more challenging for the hunter because it's a third the size of the vol buck. It's really a... As, as far as size goes in pounds, I mean, I held the thing. I think it was probably 20 pounds. You're right, 20 to 25 pounds. Uh -huh. That's it. That's a clippy. You're right. Yeah. Absolutely. An incredible right. little animal. Yeah, incredible little animal. And and little hooves and sh hooves like your sheep you have in North America for the sheep hunters. You'll find this entering exactly the same hoof as sheep, a little bit hollow. And I've seen them running up the, the edges of cliffs. I mean, absolutely just flying up the side of cliffs. You go, this is impossible. <laughs> Wow, yeah. what a cool, what a cool little animal! Yeah. What, what an awesome hunt! Highly recommend. If you're coming to Africa, Carl, this was an animal that I I really knew nothing about. Yeah, and it's turned into one of the hunts in my career uh, that probably was the most fun, most rewarding with the with the least amount of effort. Exactly, exactly, Cable. <laughs> but you know, when the hunting gods smile, you take your luck. Eh? Yeah. Don't look the gifted horse in the mouth. But what I like about it, from here onwards, the tiny tin is in your blood. You are hooked. Mm -hmm. Because every day you tell me, we need to look for a common dike. We need to look right. for a common dike. So <laughs> we're looking for a common dike, but you know how common dike are. They're always common when you don't need them. <laughs> That's but the until you need here. them, they're gone. <laughs> yeah. Well, cool. Well, that was, a, that was definitely a fun day, Carl. And 
Fantastic, Abel, and Thanks for all your hard work mate. on the glass. No, it's a pleasure. <laughs> and speaking of glass, uh, that segment was brought to you by the Vortex Fury range-finding binocular. Not only did I get a good range on that clippy with the Fury, uh, but stupidly, I left my sandbag in the truck, and so uh, ended up using the Fury as a rest for the butt of my rifle. Talk about sturdy, though. Check it out. And and by the way, I wasn't afraid to bang up the Fury because of Vortex's lifetime transferable warranty. You break it, they fix it, or replace it. It's that easy. You can find the Fury at VortexOptics.com. When we come back from a 20-pound clip springer to the 4,000-pound white rhino, we get into our up-close and personal and hands-on conservation effort benefiting these magnificent beasts on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Lost to the Pentecost. I felt a woman's breast and heard sway by the stones. Next thing you know, Lord, I'm in a band. We come from East Texas, that river bottom land. Rockin', the latest from Whiskey Myers, the uh, first single off their upcoming record, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for dropping by. Thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well. We are smack dab in the middle of our 2019 South Africa episode, recapping the recent safari. That was my third trip with John X Safaris, and we've hit on the elusive bushbuck and the tiny clip springer antelope, which literally means rock jumper, who lives high up in the mountains of South Africa's Eastern Cape. Now we're going to shift our focus to what I would say in a trip full of highlights, um, this one really stood out. And it was one that I was very apprehensive about, which I will go into more in detail in just a second. We're going to talk rhino conservation. And we'll do that in just a sec with uh, my PH, Carl Van Seal. But first, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by the new Pulsar Axiom Thermal Monocular. I actually took mine to South Africa, and we never did uh, get to hunt bush pig, but the, the PHU handles baiting all of the bush pig sites. Uh, he was blown away by the Axiom technology and its compact nature. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. It's the new Axiom. It's got all of the uh, great things you've come to expect from the Pulsar Helion lineup, but without the size. And... Uh, like 60% of the price tag. Check it out. It's the Pulsar Axiom. You can find it at PulsarNV.com. Okay. Well, I'm certainly excited to share this next conversation. So uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and get into Carl and I's discussion 
regarding our Vita Dart experience and rhino conservation. Carl, we've talked about a couple of our hunts here that we've experienced on our third safari together. Uh, one thing that we decided was going to be the, the big deal on this hunt was something we were going to do for conservation. And uh, we hadn't, I didn't let the cat out of the bag, really kind of left this as a surprise. Um, but we were doing a rhino, a white rhino Vita Dart. And this, and I'm going to let you talk a little bit about its importance to this animal that to be honest with you deserves better than that that's what i that's what i took away from this whole experience was it is such a damn shame that it has come to this for the white rhino and the black rhino yeah absolutely uh, cable and you know it, it it was it wasn't coincidental that you that you actually i watched some of your your social media posts leading up to this the big surprise and it it, it what you're saying now is so true in that we have come to this because everything has to be so secretive around rhino today. Um, rhino poaching in Africa is a real problem. It's a real problem happening on the ground. It is not something made up. It is something that we're fighting on the front line day and night. Uh, it doesn't go away. Well, actually, the place that we hunted, the guy asked me not to post a specific picture because exactly. he didn't want people to know where we were. Precisely. And, the, and that they had rhino. Exactly, Cable. And... and the reality is for 365 days a year, there is no day off to protecting these rhino. Every single minute of every day, they are under threat for their horn. The Asian market wants their horn. It is a belief that it is an aphrodisiac. It is a belief that uh, it can cure cancer. And every single stitch of that information has been proven scientifically incorrect. It is merely... Um, it, it, it is actually rubbish to get to the exact point. It's hair. It is hair. It is <laughs> compacted hair. It is no different to you eating your fingernails. If you think your fingernails doing something for you, they're going to give me an erection. Um, my man, <laughs> then power to you. But the reality is, scientifically, it is not. Uh, it, it does. It cannot assist you. It cannot help you, and it cannot cure cancer. Yeah. And the world needs to know that. And and what is the value of one on the black market? Oh, Cable. I've heard every. I've heard up to a quarter of a million dollars. At least, Cable. At oh. least where we are now, I would think a quarter of a million dollars in its final product uh, may be ground up when or in in pill format or in piece where the, where where they file it off and utilize it. It would be at least a quarter million dollars per horn. That's wow. what we're looking at. So if you think to yourself, Cable, I'd say to you early on the track, why is this problem this big? And it's it's sad that. The foot soldiers are not actually the ones that are are the biggest problem here. The guy is actually doing the poaching. He's doing it to feed his family. He's getting such a small cut of this pie um, by actually going to kill the rhino illegally. It is the greater market. It's like I don't blame the guys who come into Texas across the, the Mexicans that come into our country. They want a better life. Yeah. Just like these, these guys, guys that are actually pulling the trigger on the rhino. Yeah. Yeah, they know that it's uh, illegal, but yeah. they're trying to feed their family. But you think about but the cable. pressure on them is from Asia. Absolutely, from Asia. And 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 you think about it, Cable. If I told you in Dallas where you live, go and rob a bank, okay? Then I'm going to give you a head start. I want to. I wonder how much cash you'd carry. I wonder how far you'd run with all the cameras, and obviously, American police—they're the real deal. Mm -hmm. So. I can bet you those fine officers in Dallas would take all of a half an hour at most <laughs> to wrap you up, and right. it wouldn't be pretty. 
Well, think about it. I bet you you would not be able to put $200,000 in the bag and get away with cash. Impossible. Mm. You wouldn't be able to carry it. It's too heavy. You can do a million dollars a night. If you get caught, you're going to jail. And you're going to be in jail for a long time. You're going to be in an African jail. If you get caught by us, it's not going to be happy. It's not going to be a happy day for you either because we're really tired of it. We're tired of our efforts, our money that goes into rhino conservation, and we've reached the breaking point where we really cannot cope with it anymore. And so it comes down to where you came in cable and the importance of your efforts in this fight to dot. We need to fund the management of these rhino. We need to fund anti-poaching. We need to fund vehicles, fuel. We need to f- uh, fund salaries. A big part of funding that people don't realize, we need to fund informants. We have to pay people off to give us information what the criminals are planning. A large part of our funding is going towards the police who are working undercover with guys giving us tip off saying, Rhino poaching is going to take place there on the full moon. That location, that location. That guy risks his family. He will get killed if, if the poachers find out. Mm-hmm. So that information they're giving away, we have to pay for that. We have to protect them. All that goes into it. And somebody has to pay. And I'm really sorry, Cable. Um, for many years, I've been sitting with this discussion with people where they say to me, but why should a rhino have to pay its way to stay? Because the reality is, Cable, when you invest in a home and you light a fire in the backyard, you want to be able to call the fire engine and you must be able to protect your asset. It is no different for us. When we buy a rhino, it's the same as buying a home. We have to protect our asset. It is something we want to grow for the benefit of the greater rhino population. But at the same time, if we cannot derive a value from it as the private sector, we will not grow it and we will not protect it. And Cable, for the last 35, 40 years, we have taken rhinos from the brink of extinction to over 30,000. And this poaching scourge has knocked us back by 10,000 rhinos over the last six, seven years. You've experienced this firsthand, Carl. Well, not on this property, but on your previous cable. Property. Yeah, um, you had some a mere 700, 800 yards from where myself, my wife, and my firstborn son were fast asleep. They poached four rhinos, came in highly sophisticated, darted them. Uh, they they overdosed them, so there's no gunshot. And the next morning, there they were, four rhino. And what was really sad, two of them were, were cows that were pregnant. They were due within three, four months. We lost six rhino in one go there. The poachers got away with, with all the horns, um, never to be found, never to be seen. The police, have, they're still investigating it. Um, will they find anything? I doubt that it's too far down the line. Mm-hmm. I think, the, I think the, 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 the criminal minds that are involved here uh, are very smart, highly motivated, obviously, financially. And, mm-hmm. and so I think it's really hard for our police to make an inroad on them. But, Cable, once you've experienced that, it feels to me that not only angers you, you feel violated. Uh, you feel absolutely, you know, people think because we hunt, how can we love animals? If I tell you, if you ever, ever experienced seeing your herds grow, seeing your herds prosper, seeing your trophy hunters hunt males and animals that you've seen get better and better with age, Seeing the greater population and the benefits your property and the habitat gets from having them and a few of those trophy animals providing the support and sustainability of the herd. Once you've experienced that, you'll know what I mean when you see your four dead rhinos lying in a pile in a 50-yard radius. I promise you right now, it is a heartbreaking thing. It is something that 
makes me emotional speaking about it now. It's not something I wish upon anybody in this world mm-hmm. to see and experience. Um, it's not like losing a loved one, but I tell you what, it's not far off mm-hmm. for the amount of effort and time we put into those rhinos. And Cable, what you went and did and experienced now on this safari and and your desire to be involved and be a part of it and to pick it up from not just going hunting and having a fun time with your buddies. Yes, that's fun and that's camaraderie and it's good. That's why we hunt. But Cable, you took on an important role. You took on a custodianship for this. You are now as responsible as I am from what you experienced today. Every day you go out there, you can make a difference. And every listener listening to your show can make a difference to educate people and tell them the importance of this rhino conservation to support our rhino programs. And please don't drop $10 into the little Save the Rhino in Africa. <laughs> Don't do that. It doesn't help us. It helps us by giving Africa business. It doesn't. Don't think I, I need you to come and fight a daughter rhino with me. That's not what I'm asking of you. If you'd like to do that, fantastic. Join Cable. Join the guys. We have a fantastic product. But that's not it. Support by going to a park in Africa and going to view rhinos. Go and sleep in a lodge. Support by whoever your outfit is. Awesome about rhino. Go and do a vita dot hunt. Go and hunt an old bull. Go and do it. That is all part of the experience. Mm-hmm. That's all part of sustainability of the rhino. In whatever manner you can, educate somebody. If you don't want to go and experience it, if you don't have the funds or the means to do it, go and read up about it. Go and read about our problem. And next time you have a dinner party, next time you're having drinks with your buddies, next time you're at a social event or at workplace, yeah. say to them, you know what, guys, do you know this problem is happening? Every message that you can spread can help our rhino, and we need every little bit of help we can get. The white rhino and the black rhino are both native to South Africa? Yes, absolutely. Obviously, the white rhino are a lot more prevalent. There's uh-huh. about uh, 70% more white rhino than black rhino. But uh, back in the day, it was there was more black rhino, yes? Absolutely. Uh, more black rhino spread high up into Central Africa. And, and one thing I learned about on our hunt, as we, yeah. actually we came across a black rhino. Yes. Uh, and this is on a, on a, you don't have rhino anymore. I'm, no. That situation was probably too heartbreaking to go down that road and again. Cable, until there's change in, in, in our, um, our government, uh, mm-hmm. where they will allow us to trade in horn, until there is actually change from CITES International, where trade is allowed internationally, there is... There is no way I can afford to put out two, three hundred thousand dollars on a species that could disappear overnight on my property. It's not like it's insured. Like, oh, I lo- okay, yeah. Oh, no, sorry about you. Uh, and you told me, uh, think about it. It's a third world country. You talk about these politicians. Yeah. Well, a rhino, rhino doesn't have a vote. So this is of very little importance for South African politicians. Absolutely. They don't care. And, and the reality is, we live in a third world society where the poverty line and the wealth line is very far apart. And, and that's how it is in third world countries. And when a man, a woman, and a child is hungry and lives in a shack, I can tell you right now, the rhino, the rhino's future is not a priority. Mm-hmm. And that's the sad reality we're facing. And that's where we come in and we say, okay, it is our responsibility. we got to do it. we got to carry this. Um, my dad, my grandfather, they, they started this. They were part of this industry. And it's our responsibility today to continue that. And it's your responsibility. Like I've said to you, Cable, you're going to have to tell your little boy at home about this. And you're going to have to tell your friends about it, the importance of it. And any bit of help we can then get deriving from that is we're all just carrying that torch of responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. Let me ask you this. Historically, um, the white rhino used to be found throughout much of South Africa. Southern Africa. Southern Africa. Southern Africa, yeah. And... 
in your life, you don't remember them ever being like other than uh, they exist today in the wild in what Kruger National Kruger, Park. Yeah, all our national parks have got rhino into okay. Botswana. These rhino in Zimbabwe, there's still rhino. Uh-huh. Fantastic areas there. But there's no place where you can go hunt a free range white rhino. Absolutely not. So I want to make that very clear. Absolutely too. not. They are found on game preserves, like That's it. where we went. Which That's it. I mean, you, you're and and people, please understand. We're not talking about a thousand acres. We're not no, talking no. about five thousand acres. We're talking in the twenties, thirties, forty thousand yeah. acre places. You know, your your rhino, the experience we had there, I think that's that's just shy of twenty five thousand acres. Mm-hmm. You have an idea yeah. uh, that that was a property we were on. Right, right. Yeah. Um well so I wanna I wanna table this. Let's take a quick break, come back and actually talk about the experience itself. Because we've given I think we've kind of explained why this is necessary. We're gonna yeah. talk about what we actually did uh, in the field. Sounds good. Perfect. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. And somehow, I don't know how, but uh, two Lone Star beers ended up in South Africa. And after this experience, uh, Carl and I celebrated with an ice cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. When we come back, we'll stock up to within 18 yards of a 4,000-pound white rhino bull right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. When the cold wind blows and the rains come around I want to be your brick in the storm Whoa, whoa Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. Can't slow down Burning at four-barrel speed A battle cry to treat this absence Let me back to the world Music of Sun Bowls bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you today. Thanks for dropping in. Certainly appreciate each and every one of you as we are currently discussing white rhino conservation and by hands-on experience darting a white rhino on South Africa's Eastern Cape uh, What just about a week ago now. Uh, so we'll get back into that experience with my PH Carl Van Seel, second generation owner of John X Safaris. Uh, but first, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther, well, they've been doing all my mounts for, I don't even remember how long it's been now, uh, but seven, eight, nine years, who knows? Time flies when you're having fun. They do amazing work. They answer the phone when I call, and they deliver a quick turnaround time. All things that you would expect from a taxidermist, right? But sadly... Very few of them actually meet those requirements. They might talk a big game and then fall flat on their face when it comes down to it. So for your next trophy mount, go to gr8mounts.com. That's gr8mounts.com. Well, uh, I feel like the entire show has been building momentum towards 
this last segment as we're actually going to recap what it's like to be on the ground hunting a rhino. Of course, I didn't have a 375 H&H or 416 Rigby. Instead, I was armed with a tiny little pathetic dart gun, which is great for conservation. Not so great for the person flinging a dart at a rhino at 18 yards and then having that angry son of a gun charge right at you. Uh, luckily, the PHs did have the uh, the two pipes, the big guns, just in case we needed them. But we're going to get into that experience right now and um, how I felt walking away from an experience that I was certainly apprehensive about, not from a danger standpoint, but from a conservation standpoint. Was this really necessary? It was an internal struggle that I had to deal with. And uh, anyway, let's go ahead and get back into that conversation with Carl right now. Well, Carl, thanks for uh, sticking around. Well, actually, I'm sticking around because I'm at your place here in South yeah. Africa at the Woodlands. Um, I want to talk more about our experience with the Rhino Vita Dart. And, and I told you, I was very excited about this experience, um, but I was also a little apprehensive because while I, I, I knew in the back of my mind, but because of the whole poaching situation, which even hunters in America are very aware that there's a problem. I don't think they understand the severity of it. I don't think they fully grasp what you guys are up against on a daily basis. The the, the anti-poaching on the place where we went is a 24-7. There's no breaks. Nothing. And funding that is uh, obviously very expensive. Yeah, yeah. And we had to actually, to even make this happen, for me to be a part of it, we had to plan our safari around their regular uh, management schedule. Precisely, Cable. Um, every uh, three four months, mm -hmm. there is a checkup period where wildlife veterinarians come in. And um, when you and I spoke about it last year, what do we want to do? And I wanted you to get involved in this. Um, we had to actually schedule our dates of our hunt over the period that fits in with the rhino management plan. And that's exactly what we did. So luckily, you could work with us on the dates. And it all worked out in, our, in all of our schedules. But what then what 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 then basically had to happen is the wildlife veterinarians they they come in a helicopter comes in and obviously you there uh your your experience is funding so much of that expense because it's not a cheap operation to run and uh just doing the simple checkup on these animals can cost forty five thousand dollars an animal yeah. just to give you an idea what we what we're in for yeah um pregnancy testing dna uh dna um samples uh, microchipping, um, taking blood, uh, the general health checkups of the animal, taking measurements, checking um, that th they can actually they can actually try and determine even the growth rate of these rhinos over a period of time. Um, your particular bull, he, he, he's maxed out. He's as huge and as oh big as you're gonna get. I, I saw them put a tape on his horn. I yeah. never even asked. I I, I, don't, I don't even care. Yeah. For me, that wasn't yeah the experience. He, uh, he was he was a lovely bull. He was he was uh, just shy of 26 inches. I don't even know but if that's bigger. Yeah, so I don't care. That's beautiful, you know. <laughs> and and I didn't go out there choosing a, a rhino by horn. I just uh, no. well, well, like like we're gonna tell the folks now how it went down, but. It's basically any rhino because we are not we're not picking out specific rhino. Every single one of those rhinos they have to be darted now. So whatever rhino we could get onto, that is rhino we're gonna take. Uh -huh. But that rhino's body was massive. I mean he's as big a bull as you're gonna get. He's he, that I'm telling you now that bull's like twenty years old. Just beautiful. Twenty years old. Yeah, twenty years old wow. for sure. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Magnificent rhino. Well so the the day started, we got to the to the place, uh, and immediately I think we saw some 
well, you spotted some rhinos off in the distance. In the distance, great. But the wind was so bad that you're like, oh, it's going to yeah. be very – because it, we had to get within 50 yards. Yeah, with actually 40 going. yards. 40, actually 40, 40 on a windy day like today. And, and I probably would have wanted 30 more than 40. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we got closer than that. We got closer <laughs> than that today. And it was, it was freaking hairy. exciting. Yeah, it was yeah. exciting. But – yeah, Cable, um, arriving there, I knew immediately it's, the wind was gusting too much on the planes. Um, I'd said to you, look, the rhino has got incredible hearing, incredible smell, but really poor eyesight. Uh-huh. So the minute it gets windy like that, they actually, they really hate it. They don't want to be on the planes where they can't use their hearing to their advantage. So the rhinos we did spot out on the planes were in some thick bush, which would make it really tough for us to approach because everything around that was completely wide open. Hmm. And the chances are of a crash of a rhino all looking the same direction is kind of minimal. That little crash of rhino will be looking kind of all parked off, looking at different directions. If it's called danger, a crash. It's called a crash, uh-huh. yeah. A collective noun for them is a crash. Uh-huh. And uh, so we spotted a group. I think there were three or four. They were really far away, probably a mile off. And I just didn't like it. I yeah. said, you know, let's, let's let those rhino be. And let's get into the hill country and let's see if we can work these little rocky ledges and things. And maybe we get rhino laying out of the wind and, and, and just, you know, standing somewhere where, where they could hear more and, and use that to their advantage, which, which was really nice for us because we, we bumped into a black rhino. Which was while, very while cool. Along, it was a bonus. It was an absolute bonus. And yeah. I said to you, um, Cable, I know you've had the surgery lately and I was really happy about that because you were going to be the slowest guy there and we were gone. <laughs> yeah. So the, the black rhino, obviously uh, a little, a lot more ill-tempered. Very ill-tempered. Yeah. Very is ill-tempered. It like a, is it a complex because they're half the size of their white cousin or like... Uh, I, I don't know. They they, they say a, a black rhino is, is born grumpy and just gets grumpier by the day. <laughs> so I'm not sure why, but you know... I think we got about 150 yards from him and said that was good enough. Yeah, yeah. and you know, we were on foot there in the, in the hills and he was below us and he hadn't spotted us and the wind was in our favor. But uh, uh, I, I actually, Ozzy, our cameraman, he was he was edging off to the side and I said to Ozzy, Ozzy, do you know that thing will chase us and there aren't enough big trees here for us to climb? And and, 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 and I saw Ozzy kind of settle back and just reel himself all the way back <laughs> behind us again. And yeah, it's one of those neat things, knowing that they, they can give us a hard time, but but uh, we steer clear of that. Yeah, well, and, and, that w- and I alluded to this uh, in the previous segment, and then we kind of went off in a different direction. But one thing I learned about these uh, the black versus the white rhino is one is a... A grazer, and the other is a browser. Yeah, the name actually started with with a wide-lipped rhino, which became white. I don't know why. And the black rhino was actually called the hook-lipped rhino. Huh. And the the wide lip is the is actually the grazer. It, it's like a lawnmower. It has his mouth on the ground, like a hippo, very similar. And it just cuts the grass off on, on, on the ground. The hook-lip is the black rhino. It's a browser, so it needs that hook to actually eat around the twigs and stuff in the tree to get the nice little leaves. Mm. So that's how it, 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 it browses on the bushes. And that's why it's got that hook clip. Interesting. And what's really neat as well, and and you will um, you, you, you'll actually see this when you see cows and calves, a black rhino can lift his head really high. Okay, huh. A white rhino cannot. Its neck doesn't quite lift as high. So a black rhino's calf will always run in front of it. Because it will look over its calf. A white rhino's calf always run behind it. Oh. It can't lift its head high enough. Interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Oh. And and do these animals even have any natural predators? Will a lion take Lions them? will take the old ones, yeah. Lions will, yeah. Take the old ones? Old rhino, yeah. Lions oh. will, yeah. In Kruger Park and places like that, it does happen. Um, in our a scenarios... A bull like the one that we uh, has no... 
No, no. It's, it's, it only, it's only threats to human, really. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, okay. and its own kind. You know, bulls do fight and, and, and kill each other. Huh. Yeah. Interesting. So we saw the black rhino, uh, and then it was probably about a half hour later, uh, we found a pair of, of white rhino. Yeah. This is where it really gets cool as far as the personal experience is that you're hunting it. You're not, you're not killing, you, you know, we're, we're basically sticking a, a vitamin dart in it, but we are stalking this prehistoric beast that weighs two tons and trying to get within 40 yards. And Carl, we got a lot closer than 40 yards. We, we did. We did. And, 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 and Cable, I'll even back it up further to tell you part of that experience. I, I had an old-time professional hunter, a man I look up to, and, and, and one of the great guys of our industry. Um, he, he, he's one of the, the old-timer elephant hunters and done a lot of elephant in his day. And he, one day I said to him, I said, you know, you must get exhausted of the, of the pressure of, you know, hunting elephant and doing five, six elephant bulls a year on safari with your hunters. And, you know, it's got to get to you. And he took a puff of his cigarette and had a sip of his beer and he said to me, he said, you know, I don't think it's as tough as yours. I said, what do you mean? He said, you know, back in the day you could dart these rhino. So then you had to play cat and mouse for five to seven minutes until he goes down. He says, you know, when I pull the trigger, it goes bang and the, and the animal goes down. <laughs> he says, what makes us even crazy? He says, you're so crazy these days. You now, you now have to play cat and mouse and get out the way until they're gone. They're not even going to sleep. <laughs> so we really had to get in close, and, and, and we did, Cable. We, yeah. we had some nice rocky terrain. I, I asked you, I said, Cable, please stay on the rocks. Follow me quietly. There was uh, the rhino were close to nice thick brush, and we could get up above them and – just when we got to the bush where I wanted to be, yeah, I, th- I, I was think gonna... they heard us. You do? I think they heard us. Oh. Yeah, something they weren't happy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm gonna just table that for one second yeah. because, like, literally, like 200 yards from that, as we're walking up this hill where we knew they were, yeah, we stopped and you showed me a pile of like fresh dung and how and it's what rhino you call it something it's else. a rhino midden uh-huh. but we also call it a rhino garden and okay. and for the white rhino we call it a rhino midden but for black rhino we call it a rhino garden and the reason is every day they will go well every couple of days at least they will go to the same place and have their morning session there <laughs> and uh, they will spray pee all over the place and that's how they mark their territory huh. so dominant bull that's how he displays his dominance and he marks off his territory all the corners of his territory with his dung uh-huh. And that is his specific scent. And you will actually see them. When they spray their urine everywhere, they will then rub all the bushes and spray. And it's actually quite interesting to see. It looks like a like water under pressure, really a hard spray that just sprays everything. Huh. Yeah, so really neat. And, 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 and that's always a good sign when you are hunting them to find that. Yeah. Because then you know there's a big bull in which the area. We, in his territory. Yeah. Which, back, back to where we were, uh, Here's this, here's this one tree at this point. You'd seen the rhino. They're coming towards us. The wind, we played the wind perfectly. Wind it was a great perfect. stock. Perfect. Yeah. yeah perfect. And, uh, and then this is the first, like, as he comes across the tree is yeah. the first time I ever laid my eyes on one of these beasts in person. Yeah. And, uh, and we had practiced, you know, took a couple of practice shots with the, uh, with the dart gun. Yeah. And you basically said, look, just aim for a, a meaty part of the rhino. Don't, yeah. Obviously, don't want to shoot him in the head, but yeah, just yeah. somewhere, yeah. you know, front shoulder. And that's what that's what was exposed. It was perfect, uh, actually, yeah. the way he came up. But <laughs> what wasn't perfect is that, okay, well, I was expecting him to be 30 yards, and, and the gun's pressure was on too much. Uh-huh. So I had to lean over you, get that pressure off, 
then you, you got the safety off, and I said to you, and I was like, yeah, shoot, shoot, Gable. Now you actually got I don't, shoot. There was, I don't think you realized there was one like tweak. A, yeah, and uh, I, yeah, I had see, to wait I for him to clear that. Hidden a little bit. Yeah, but I tell you, Gable, you let that dart rip. It hit him high on the shoulder, exactly where I wanted you to hit him, and then all oh, hell broke my loose. God. That, that's I've never, you know, hunting. Uh, elk in the mountains where there's mountain lions and bears and, and hunting black bear in the same territory in Montana where there's grizzlies. I've never been that, you know, I was kind of scared. This animal was coming right at us. I thought, oh, I you need to respect them. Part of trampled the big five, right eh? here. Part of the big five. You have to respect them at the end of the day. And I, and I know that there's a, a backup gun yes. there with us, Yeah, but I couldn't, it was behind me and I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. No, you know, Cable, the minute that dart went in, that rhino obviously got a fright. The sound and obviously the dart going into it, I don't think it really feels much. I think it's like a, a bee stinging it. Sure. Um, you know, the, the skin is two inches thick at some places, uh-huh. so it, it it's hardly feels it. But he took off, and his buddy took off just by shirking since now directions. I tell you what, when you got two tons bearing down on you, and you multiply that by two, and we had one little bush we were standing behind, and he was coming along the path that you were in, and I kind of pulled you to me a bit closer and closer and closer. I'm tugging you in, and then at the last minute, he swerves on the other side of our bush. At three yards, he swerves, and instead of passing our front, he passes our back. Oh. And as they go past, we go, okay, go, 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 and the rhino then take off, and off they run, you know, and... I tell you, if that doesn't get your adrenaline going, nothing will. I've, nothing. I've never had that. I've had some good experiences hunting where I've been like, whoo, high fives. You know, we did it, boys. You know, uh, that took it to the next level. And, uh, you know, my obviously first experience hunting dangerous game. Yeah. Not hunting, but, you know, the, yeah. the experience is the same. Same, exactly same. And I, you know, I asked you, um, you've, you've done rhino hunts too. Yeah. Where do, where would you shoot them and and what you know what caliber and it's usually something in the fours yeah and, the fours uh, and, and on the shoulder yeah, yeah yeah and do you ever do you get that close on those experiences you do from time to time but you know um, you prefer not to no. you know I'm that guy who, who who it's it's fantastic that in the back of your mind that adrenaline and that experience is such that things could get worse than but I prefer just to keep it calm and, and clean and, 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 and go on the thought and the reality we be safe and we, we do it good and clean. Uh-huh. I think that's important, Cable. But to <laughs> see your reaction, and I wish the listeners could have seen it, and I, and I really hope the camera can convey that emotion. I mean, that's as excited as I've seen Cable. Yeah. I, I mean, it, we were, you know, I, my hands were shaking. It, it was fantastic. You know, there was actually nowhere for us to go. No. Um, all I was going to do was going to pull you deeper into the bush with me, and we were literally just going to fall into that bush and hope they pass us by. Yeah. There was nothing else we could do. Yeah. You know? It was it was surreal. Yeah. And my surreal. wife, I'm sure, is not going to like the footage, but uh, it's, I think you and I are going to think it's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my gosh. Uh, so at that point, our part of the hunt is postponed. Or it's on yeah. pause. We are going to yeah. help in a minute, but... We go back and uh, get the veterinarian, and who the you knew from a long time ago. From a very long time ago. Back in the day um, uh, when, when we, we, we were still able to do green hunting, actually. Which means I would have actually shot it with the, the tranquilizer. The mobilizing tra- yeah. Yeah, the tranquilizer. Yeah. You, would have, uh, you would have administered that. Um, the law changed, and, and that stopped about seven, eight years ago. But up in about 15 years ago, I had met uh, this particular vet, a buddy of mine, and 
and uh, we, we had done quite a few elephants at the time. And, huh. and he's a crazy guy. He, he worked in Kruger Park for a long time, did a lot of work up there, gained a lot of experience in his younger days, and moved on to the East Cape and, and, and actually has tremendous experience on big game. And, and as a young professional hunter, today, yeah. Yeah, as a young mm-hmm. professional hunter starting off, it was fantastic having him as a calming, uh, kind of a calming factor, you know, under your breath, you know, we're all human. We've all been 18, 19 years old. We've got guys coming out from the U.S. And, you know, they, they think we're Superman, but, but we really are just human, just like you are. Uh, the pressures are there. It's real pressures. You're dealing with dangerous game. And every day is a risk out there for mm. us, for you. And it's our responsibility. And having had him along over the years, always been fun. Some lovely memories there. Uh, did our part for conservation. He's most certainly been a fantastic part of that. And uh, seeing him there today uh, when he arrived there was just a trip down memory lane for me. I had such a good chuckle with him and mm-hmm. had a long conversation in Dutch with him about his family and where he's been and what he's been doing. I haven't seen him for quite a while. It was cool for me as an observer to get to watch him mix the drugs. Yeah. That he would be, and this is where the next step of the whole deal is. So we get back. Yeah. And our rhino has uh, the vitamin dart in it. Yeah. Which is, ident- helps him identify because he's going up in a helicopter. Correct. With the actual tranquilizer. Yeah, correct. Yeah. And, and off they went, and we obviously went following in the truck. And within about two, three minutes, they'd located the rhino, um, and obviously had, had put in the uh, the vet that darted him. And then it took about five, seven minutes for us to get you where the bull was now going to you, slowing down. Uh, his buddy, the other rhino, was with him. The helicopter had peeled him off already, so he was off in the distance going about his own business. And then basically we got involved. And that's where mm. you had to get your hands dirty, Cable. And that's where I said to you, come, let's go. And it was taking him longer to go to sleep than usual. And the veterinarian looks at me and said, this is a big rhino. And I only I gave him the regular dose because he didn't have his eyes on him. You exactly. know, he didn't know that he, he was. He doesn't know. So yeah. all he's going is on what, 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 what the standard practice would be. But yeah. this bull's body was probably 15% bigger than usual. Uh-huh. And so he, um, he was just taking it a bit longer to go down and he, he was taking the drug like a man he really wasn't uh, he wasn't ready to go to sleep yet <laughs> yeah. yeah and so um, he starts to get pretty pretty, pretty woozy wobby, yeah, yeah. And disoriented and the team actually comes in uh, this is where it's kind of now all hands on deck because you're dealing with a 4,000 pound animal precisely and you want him to fall a yeah. certain way correct very important. Uh, yeah. You cannot lay on his side for too long. Uh-huh. Um, you cannot have moisture collecting in his lungs. So you want him to try and lay on his chest plate. You mm-hmm. actually want him to, like, imagine a dog sitting down and then laying down, like, on his chest. That's what you want. That's really important for him. So we, we actually got to hold on to his horn and help guide him. We had to literally try and yeah. sway him until he would actually go down. So we would, obviously, we put some ropes around his back legs to try to trip him up. And then there's Bongo, a tracking dog making a little racket in here. Yeah, <laughs> Bongi. That's my hunting dog. Yeah. And uh, then basically we had to sway him. And, and, and I thought it was just, I thought it was really cool that you got involved there. You know, some guys are a little bit scared in that situation. But I said to you, Cable, okay, well, you're strong enough. I need to help you. Now. We need to put this runner down. And it was neat seeing you. And um, I don't think you always realize, but I was watching your emotions in that moment, touching it for the first time. And, I think there's something that you will cherish and never forget about that. Yeah. Personally, I could see that. I watched you every moment doing that. It was really neat to watch. Well, so we, we get the rhino on the ground and literally have about 30 seconds for photos because we want to get the reversal in him 
as yeah. I mean, pretty pretty much yeah, it immediately. Took, it took us about yeah. four or five minutes to do what we had to do. Yeah. We obviously, then got our DNA samples. We checked the microchip. Uh, we did the veterinarian cut some skin off of his back. Yes, he actually got some skin off him, and that's what they sent away to to the DNA bank. And basically, what the idea around that is, that DNA sample is actually not going to help us prevent a rhino being poached tomorrow, but it is going to give us an opportunity to try and map the illegal rhino network. Mm -hmm. So it might give us a chance to say that that DNA comes from that property and now is in Vietnam or in China or in Taiwan. Wherever that is ending up around the world, we actually now can say, well, this is interesting. There's a bit of a pattern here. Mm -hmm. This is landing up there. This is landing up there. So Interpol then can start mapping how this is working. Mm -hmm. And that's where the DNA bank comes in. So every one of our owners, we are actually taking DNA samples of and we've built up a fantastic uh, DNA uh, database. Database, basically. Yeah. Wow. Well, the the cool thing was, so we got we got some pictures. I got to feel this animal touch his his. I mean, that leather is just that's the Unique. thickest skin. Yeah. My goodness, what what an amazing experience to be right there with this prehistoric species. Yeah. And be a part of its conservation, and then to be able to. Uh, the veterinarian, once he had the needle in the in its vein, I mean, I didn't get to pretend like I was a vet, but he let me actually push you know, the, the syringe, yeah, you know, which was cool. Once he got everything in there, you know, it's something that 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 we like the guys to do. You know, yeah. you're not able to make him go to sleep. The vet does that, but you are able to assist with waking him up. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a fantastic experience to then stand there and and watch him come back to life and stand up. And and I told you that uh, yes, I was very excited. Yes, I wanted to be a part of this, and 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 there was one minute though, one when when the animal is coming out of sedation, and he's breathing heavy, and I'm like, it is so sad that this is the reality of saving this animal. It that is. you know, I mean, it'd be great if he didn't have to be darted exactly, and no one had to study his DNA because yeah. he was just left alone. Yeah, and if we had enough to hunt, then we would sustainably yeah. hunt them. It would. Uh, would, but it just kind of broke my heart, to be yeah, honest, that it was like, it, it, you know, I didn't cry, but I, I, I was a little emotional and about. You, and you're right. And just such an and amazing such an iconic one and, for Africa. Yeah. And, so iconic. Uh, it, it was sad for me that that we have to do to go through all of these measures just to make sure that this animal stays on the face of this earth. Yeah. So our children can enjoy them and not watch them on Discovery Channel or Animal Planet or mm -hmm. read about them in books. Yeah. They actually be able to view them in the wild. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it was quite a a feeling of uh, accomplishment to see him get up and walk off in the distance of wherever his buddy went. Yeah. Uh that was he might be he might be days for, for the next day or so they they give him a good old drug that makes him feel really great and yeah. relaxed, basically. Yeah. <laughs> I think I might have had that after stressed. my foot surgery. <laughs> yeah. Probably. <laughs> yeah. Well Carl, that was uh that was that was pretty surreal. And and cable, you know, um I wanna thank you personally. Um not only for what I know you're going to do for us, but for coming to spend your own hard-earned dollars on this and, and committing yourself to conservation. You know, I challenge every one of your listeners out there, it doesn't have to be in dollars. It can be in an act, in a bit of information sharing, in the right message out there. That's all I ask of you. Um, Cable took, took on the responsibility in as big a way as anybody could. He came and spent his money for the experience, which will help protect and sustain that animal uh, and, and, and its population. But yeah, if everyone of you could just do something, just spread the word, do something, that's all we ask of you.
Carl, I look forward to our next adventure. We've still got we've still got common diker possibly. Yeah, and uh, maybe we're going to catch a caracal. I hope so. But, we, uh, we got the dogs tomorrow, my is, man. It's going to be exciting. Been an epic safari, and uh, it, it, there's there's always something different that you could do here, and, and no experience is, is ever the same. And I think the other guys that are on this trip uh, that, that came with me are finding that out for themselves, and it's been cool to to have been here multiple times and to, just to watch how they how I was the first time I came. Yeah, uh, your eyes are so big. I mean, there's they didn't know what to expect, and I think that it uh, all of their uh, all of their expectations have been uh, blown away. Yeah, and 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 I hope to to hear from them. I'd love you to do a, a podcast with them too, and and chat to them and hmm. and and see what what their first time experiences are. I yeah. think Spray Neath and the Bow Hunters have really done well, which That's, is fantastic. Yeah. yeah. Which and I was about to lose a hundred dollar bet on the bow. Which I was kind of hoping one of them wasn't going to do so great because I, was, I told him there was no way he was going to kill uh, a certain number of animals. I, I think I said I don't think he would even get five, yeah. uh, but he I think he's one away. So I might be in uh, deep doo doo here. Yeah. <laughs> so, well, Carl, thanks again, my friend. Uh, it was great to to be able to do that for conservation and and to uh, support the white rhino and its. It's just a relentless, ongoing battle for the conservation of that species. So uh, we'll do what we can. Thanks, Gable. Well, so there he goes, my good friend, second-generation owner of John X Safaris and my PH, Carl Van Seal. Uh, I think next year we're actually going to go after Cape Buffalo, so I'm excited about that. And by the way, uh, I took so I took five guys with me this year. We have the date already locked in for next year. It's July 24th through August 1st. If you want to be a part of that trip, that experience, shoot me an email, LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com. Uh, oh, and by the way, we did catch a caracal on the last day of our hunt. Uh, so I was able to check that off the bucket list as well. The hounds, oh man, dry ground cat hunting is as good as it gets, no doubt. And uh, they didn't disappoint. And so the third time was a charm for caracal as well. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. You can find their entire lineup at allseasonsfeeders.com. Unfortunately, we are flat out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Carl uh, for his contribution to the show today. Thanks to you guys and gals for tuning in. Uh, thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. We wouldn't be here without their support. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. On the road again.